like does it match your studying style do you are you okay putting in twelve thousand dollars for a boot camp or are you okay creating your own schedule to study hi everyone welcome to designer sushi a podcast about the everyday life of a ux designer through the perspectives of two career switcher ux designers that have a shared working abroad experience in Japan. And I'm your host, Lori, and I'm located in Toronto, Canada. And I'm your other host, Mika, and I'm located in Tokyo, Japan. Finally, we have another episode <laughs> coming for you guys. <laughs> I know it's been quite a while since we've released some episodes, but here we are back at it again. And this time we have another go, uh, another guest, not ghost, but guest. <laughs> coming into the show and i must say this has been a long time coming because we've been trying to catch her like a rare pokemon um ever since we started the show <laughs> without further ado uh, let me introduce to you Teresa fong so she is a senior product designer at skydia uh, an agency in tokyo and as a designer she builds apps and websites but she most enjoys building a community and she manages Creative Tokyo, which is a community of over 3,100 members. Wow, that's a lot. Um, connecting and finding friends with similar interests. So she's like pretty much all over the place in Tokyo. And we have her here on the show to have this episode called a UX Designer Hotline. Like interesting title for this episode. Without further ado, hello, Teresa. <laughs> It's been a long time coming. The stars have finally aligned. That was such a sweet intro. I couldn't (laughs) help but giggle. And I was trying to just hold myself in because the the ghosts and the Pokemon (laughs) are so cute. This will not be edited. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, want to let listeners know that Terry was the one that introduced me and Mika together. So she was, without her, we would not have created this podcast so Terry Yay. is definitely a big part in at the beginnings of Designer Sushi. She saw it all happen from the beginning to where it is now. Yes. And we have been trying to catch her like a rare Pokemon on getting her a guest. <laughs> but you know, she's just killing it in the UX world. Finally, we have her here today. Yes. We were literally thrown in a chat and she was like, go make a podcast together. <laughs> you know, my favorite part of that was that like I didn't use chat GPT for this I named your group peas in a pod because yeah. podcast pod you know oh, it was so smart yeah I it love was that so that was smart. my favorite part Terry you know like this is uh recording friends like hanging out but I get some people don't know who you are even though you are really like prominent in like all over the UX world yeah. but like yeah tell us about your background to those who don't know who you are and yeah, yeah. I'd love to so I came to Japan in 2015 as an English teacher, like probably 90% of the people in Japan, um, but very quickly transitioned to UX. And history sort of starts over there. Like I started, you know, learning about UX and product design and uh, really wanted to make more friends in the industry. And so uh, my company had a group called Tokyo Design that has now been rebranded to Creative Tokyo. And maybe December really of last year, I really started growing that brand and uh, it completely blossomed. We had like probably 40 people on a newsletter. Now we have over 1,500, over 3,000 in our group, over 1,300 on Slack. And so it's 
only been a short time, I think, if you compare it to other communities, but it's been such a great growth and to see everybody come together because everybody is really interested in product design. It's kind of crazy to see a community built around like building products, but it's happening and it's here and everybody loves these events that we have. So yeah, I hope if you're in Tokyo, you can join us. <laughs> awesome. Lori, I'm calling you out <laughs> as someone who's not in, to in Tokyo right now. No, awesome. Like I've actually told Mika this before that Creative Tokyo is actually one of my favorite design communities out there. And it's thanks to you, Terry, for blossoming the community. I mean, there, you know, some communities, they literally just did for a while and then they kind of die down. But Creative Tokyo is pretty consistent in the way everyone's interacting with each other and being active. Mm. And it's all thanks to you, Terry, because um, I mean, I see the way that you act on like the Slack channel. You're so welcoming and you're always asking for everyone's input on like the Slack channel. And like, this is what makes communities thrive. So it and it's like, yeah, it's thanks to you. There's over like, what was it like 3000 members now in like the meetup, the Slack channel now. So like, yeah, props to you. Thank you. And, and I have to say, it's not just me. We have, I have a really great team helping with all these little, I call them pillars because it really is. It's not just Creative Tokyo. They're like the events group, the community that you have mm. to do, Instagram. I'm sure you guys know like how many things you have to do for this podcast to build a brand. So yeah, it's really thanks to the team. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Like I, I see you like in Slack and I'm like, how does she keep up with everybody? <laughs> You're so active. Like it, it's blowing my mind, actually, because I know it, it's no joke, especially now that Creative Tokyo has over 3,000 members and been part of the meetup group, basically, for, I think, like over three years now, because I started attending the events from way back when the pandemic started. And now, mm -hmm. like, it has grown so much since then. And I think a, a lot of, like, a lot of the credit, I think, goes to you because been so diligent in following up all the the moving parts and i can't imagine Aww. like you just have to organize you know like even online events you know so many things that goes into that oh thank you go on go on mika yes yes i can I go on if you want it's all like give terry warm fuzzies no. for this episode no no i'm sure i'm sure the audience is like get to our questions this is a hotline, like 911. Right. I need these questions answered. <laughs> right. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So just wanted to give audiences and listeners like the basis of this. So actually, Terry said that there was a lot of people asking her direct questions on UX and product design. And um, there was a lot of questions that were being asked. And Terry said that, hey, maybe we can like dissect this further and make this into a podcast just so that it's not one person gets the answer. Maybe like everyone out there has the same questions as well. So we were able to compile the list of questions, actually like Terry did. <laughs> and um, we're going to basically what we're going to do is dive into the top questions that some of the um, listeners had. And then we'll just give like our feedback on based off of those questions. So yeah, it is like a hotline type of approach that we'll do. And then just to iterate, this will be a two-part episode just because we don't want to rush it any further. We don't want to make it too long. So we just want to give you the best possible answers. So without further ado, let me ask the first question. For someone wanting to get into UI UX design from zero, where would you recommend they start? Because Terry's our guest. I always point it to our guests first. <laughs> what do you think about that question, Terry? That's a great question. So every time they someone asks me this, I always say LinkedIn Learning or um, at this point, Google, what is it called? Google Classroom. They have that certificate or is it Google certificate probably? Google Design um, Certificate, I think. 
I think that's one. Um, yeah. When I started, they didn't have that, which makes me sound really old, but that was like probably two years ago. <laughs> but like three years ago, there was only LinkedIn Learning, which I think they actually called Linda. But essentially, they have a foundational course called How to Become a UX Designer. I think just like that. And so it was 14 hours long. You can get it done within a week. And this was during pandemic. So I finished it in like two days because <laughs> you had nothing else to do. And it really is great because they give you a foundation for the entire process so that you know what you don't know and you can further Google. I won't keep going on with it. Mika, I'd love to hear your thoughts because you also pivoted as well. Yeah, actually, we, we touched upon it in previous episode of ours. The gap between the theory and application of UX, I, I, my background was I pretty much self-studied my way, shimmed my way <laughs> to, to the UX design career. Um, and so I started off with this book called uh, The User Experience of One. I, mm-hmm. I mentioned it as well in that previous episode. We can link it once we publish mm-hmm. this. That's how I pretty much learned through books and through shadowing people. Because I think at, even at the time, there were already some tutorials online where um, you know people kind of demo like how they design a mobile app. And I just shadowed through that. And I did a lot of copy work where I would find um, UI that I think were look good and that kind of shaped my aesthetic as well and so I did like a reverse engineering process where I would look at a UI that I think looks good and then I would try to replicate that and then that kind of trained my my eye to see what looks good and at the same time also got me familiarized with the software um, which back then at the time was just sketch Figma wasn't around (laughs) then and so that's how I got my start so, uh, what about you, Lori? I believe you did have a more formal background into UX. Yeah, I I did a boot camp, and I know Terry. Yeah, you did a boot camp as well. No, actually, um, I didn't. Or, oh, oh, you did the yourself no, educated. I always thought you did yes. that the low wagon one because I wanted to do that one in Tokyo too. But okay, so both you and Mika are self studiers, and right. you're like That's kicking right. ass in UX. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no, because like a lot of people are self-studying um, right now. And it's great because it's a, it's a career where you don't really need a formal education. Uh, yeah, I did a boot camp and it was very a UX heavy type of boot camp. But before I went into a boot camp, I think the first thing I started was I looked at YouTube videos of some of the product or UX designers that were telling their day in the life of it or like, or they'd be like, oh, so you want to be a like a product designer? This is what you need to do. Or this is like, I started off there because I'm someone that likes to learn through videos, like a 10 minute video rather than reading about it. So I feel like now these days, uh, there is a lot, a ton of like content on like UX designers and product designers now out there. And I mean, like before there wasn't that many, like there was only, I think of like maybe two at the time. Like I remember watching Chun Buns, if you knew her, but she was like, I think, yeah, because of her, I was like, I really want to pursue this career. So yeah, shout out to John Bunches. Have you guys watched Charlie from Charlie. Um, ConvertKit? She's a marketing designer. She also really influenced my design career as well as Femka. She was uh, ex-Uber, ex-WellSimple. I forget which one, where she is right now, but um, she also has really great tutorials on her YouTube. So like, I also have a YouTube graduate um, diploma probably uh, because that's basically <laughs> what I use as well <laughs> no like all those two great like those influencers I also like followed them as well so 
Yeah, I guess if you're if you're wanting to start from like zero, just like, yeah, like watch those YouTube videos of those UX or product designer influencers. I mean, there's a ton now, like it's not just those three. There's like so many of them out there. So just watch it like their day in the life and see if you're able to picture yourself doing that type of work. And I think that's a great to get started. And even um, before you actually start the self-studying route or the or the boot camp route. But yeah, that's always a good place to start. Definitely. Yeah, so I didn't, yeah, I didn't even know that you self-studied then. I Cheer, did. Because I already heard Mika's journey. How did you find that? I really liked it. I'm a very type A person. So um, I basically create processes and lists. Like to-do lists is like my favorite thing to make. <laughs> but like my partner, he doesn't like to do any of that. Sorry, I'm not butchering him. I love you. Um, but he, he needs someone to be there to like, if you're the type of person who needs like a classroom setting, somebody gives you a syllabus, definitely go that route. It is a bit hefty in terms of like the bill. I think average is 12,000 US dollars. So it is commitment, but it's a commitment that will bring you back benefits, right? You will easily in three months, like get a diploma, know what you're doing, know what to further research upon. Because once you graduate, you're not like an experienced UX designer, right? You, You have to keep going. So going to a school will help you learn like where to keep going too because maybe you know I think to caveat all of this talk I'm a product designer but I am more stronger in the UX portion less than the UI I actually don't have it it does not spark any joy <laughs> the UI portion but so when Mika you shared that you shadowed a lot of um, you know designs and um, YouTubers and other designers I thought that was actually really um, helpful for you audience to hear because I never did that because that, that was never something I was interested in I listen to more of like how to build a product in terms of product management. This, mm. this is probably a talk later on because I sometimes question, am I a product designer or a product manager? There's a lot of interchangeable portions there. But regardless, you should definitely like think about how you like, does it match your studying style? Do you, are you okay putting in $12,000 for a boot camp, or are you okay creating your own schedule to study? And then from there, take that path. Actually, that's something that you mentioned before, like, I mean, I've heard it before that you were thinking of going into product management before the product design route. I remember you mentioned that to me. Then why did you choose product design over product management? It was, to be very, very honest, opportunity. (laughs) I was able to get a product design internship uh, versus a product management internship. And so I was able to further dig into product design and you know I did like it which is why I wanted to continue with it but as I continued doing this you know product design is such a long process like it's from the the research discovery to delivery of high fidelity but I found that I really like the research portion and um, product managers that's what they do you know and but they also figure out like your growth models like your KPIs and that's something that really sparks joy and so I'm contemplating a move in the near future but I chose it because of opportunity. <laughs> mm, interesting. Okay. Mika, did you ever think about wanting to go into product management? Product management. Well, right now I'm kind of enjoying my designer role right now. Product management is something that I'm definitely considering, but Ooh. I want to observe first, like how is it really on a day-to-day basis? And so from there, probably I'll choose. But then right now I'm more into really honing my skill set in design mm-hmm. so more like along like like principal designer kind of route maybe 
Because mm-hmm. product management, I think it's well. There are things in product management that I that probably I can use in my own practice, but I'm not sure yet if that's what I want to do, like as a main job. Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah, definitely no. not closing doors. You know, I'm I'm pretty open. For sure. How about that's you, so Lori? Mika. To be honest, I'm very confused on what product managers do. Okay, I hope like <laughs> to bring a product manager as a next guest. I so. know. Oh my god! I'll introduce <laughs> you guys to stuff. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very confused because I, I feel like their role is so different in companies. Mm. And so I think that's why I'm a bit confused as to like, what exactly do they do? Whereas I guess design is very, um, I mean, it's pretty, we still follow very similar process, but different type of product. But it's still like, we know what we're doing, like if when we go to like, I guess a different company, but like product manager, I'm like, yeah, it's just so different. So yeah, I feel like yeah, we do need to talk to a product manager for this. But I but we do work closely with them as product designers. Yeah, they're more strategic, right? Like mm-hmm. they're more like closer to like the the business goal, like the business objectives. They're closer to that. Yeah, I guess um, so. I don't know. Terry, what yeah. what do you think they are? I mean, you want to go into that route. What do you think product managers <laughs> do? <laughs> yeah. Definitely what Mika just said about strategy. They're they're more um on higher level about how the process is like versus the nitty-gritty of like the design itself so that's why I think I'm maybe better suited for product management because I'm very happy to deliver like the specs and the requirements for a design than going into Figma right now to be like let me design this out spark Mm. joy when I think about that so I'm like maybe I'm becoming less product (laughs) designy because Mm -hmm. I'm like is this like the white page syndrome like because it's a white page I just like don't want to get started Mm. don't know how to get started or Mm. it just doesn't I, I just don't enjoy it. Probably, mm. actually, I don't know. Saying it out loud makes me feel very bad as a product designer. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the you designer's know. guilt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually know a few designers went into product management. I remember like one of my ex-client, the design manager, he moved to product manager. So I feel like that's another career that you could take as a product designer like it's not like you don't have to be a designer throughout your whole life you can jump into product management and I think that's great because then you'll understand the design side of the whole product cycle too so you know how to communicate with designers because um, I guess like sometimes okay I want to say this from my experience some product managers they don't understand design so it's a bit hard to convince them of why we're doing certain things (laughs) so I think you know I think that's a very good like another career path that you can definitely take so but I guess this is not really a, a product manager type of podcast so, so we won't go into <laughs> we details. We have some product managers here of course. We should talk to them and ask them. Yes. <laughs> That's another yeah maybe we should have that um, so yeah if you're a product manager out there come talk to us and come educate us. Enlighten us. <laughs> <laughs> okay oh wow this was a super fun question thanks so much for the person that asked this. The next question, what advice would you give yourself looking back at your own journey? And uh, yeah, I'll throw it to Terry because yeah, she's our guest. Oh, me again. (laughs) (laughs) Personally, for myself, I would let tell myself to explore, which is what I did. And I think I really appreciated myself for doing that because I officially uh, initially came into Japan thinking I want to do um, international education, meaning like going to the study abroad field and helping students come to Japan and learn about Japan. And then I did an internship under that. And I was like, wow, I really hate that so much. Um, Let me still stick to the study abroad field and 
send students out of Japan. Maybe I like that. I did not. I really did. <laughs> and so I got an internship in product design. And that's why I was like, oh, I actually do like this. So like having experience and having your like a little touch of what that is like is so important. And and so I say that kind of in a, you know, a place of privilege, because not everyone can get an internship, for example, in a field, especially in product design, it's so hard to get one nowadays. But that's why YouTube is so helpful, because then you get to see the day in the life of a product designer, for example, so that even though you can't directly see what that is like, you can see what other people's life is like doing that. And then that way, you kind of actually see if you like it. And I have to caveat again that, you know, they are only showing the positive. This is YouTube. But consider every portion of it. Um, read, you know, Google what are the bad sides of the field, which actually is a question later on. So I'm really excited to talk about that. So that's my advice explore, explore, and explore more. Awesome. I completely agree with that. And I know that, yeah, Terry, you've had a, yeah, your career has been very, it hasn't been as straightforward as the typical mm-hmm. person. Let's hear about what Mika is. I know we've had heard a bit of her career journey, but yeah, Mika, I uh, want to hear your thoughts. Like what advice would you give yourself looking back mm. at your journey? Mm, probably the advice I would give myself would be join a community as soon as you pursue something because in my case I was creating my portfolio pretty much in silo um because back then I wasn't in Tokyo yet um I was living in in Shizuoka for a while and as you can imagine it's not exactly as you know nigayaka as we call it it's not as metropolitan as Tokyo so there's not really much um communities around but then there were already some online orgs springing up anyway and so at the time I was kind of afraid actually to join a design community because you know I felt like I didn't belong yet I felt like oh I need to have like I need to get my crap together first before I should join (laughs) like let's say a community you know but then what I should have done back then was as soon as I decided like oh I want to pursue a design career I should have joined a community earlier and that would have probably expedited the uh the process of me transitioning i would have probably uh, been able to find a job faster that way um even though i still didn't have let's say a portfolio at the time joining a community would have probably you know helped me um construct my portfolio faster and and most likely i would have gotten some mentorship as early as then so that would be my advice to myself i actually completely agree with that Uh, Mika, the community aspect, especially if you're career switching too, it can feel a bit lonely if you feel like you're doing it on your own. But then having that community, people that are in the same position as you, um, it will definitely like, I guess, help you to thrive more and um, be more motivated into career switching. And actually, like, as someone that was at the beginning of the Korea of Tokyo community, it really no, I'm serious, Terry, like, it really did help me to be motivated in pursuing like UX and product design as a career switcher. It was just from like um, hearing other people in a similar situation as me. It was just like nice and relief that like I wasn't the only one going alone. So like I encourage everyone who is in like these type of communities, even if it's like not in creative Tokyo, but like try to leverage it out. Some people I see, they they just um, 
they are not active for, I guess, a few or four months. But honestly, I feel like if you're putting yourself out there in these communities and kind of leveraging it, because there are tons of people of different backgrounds, they are even experienced people in these communities, but try to interact with these type of people, because you never know, like in the future, like they might be able to help you in the end. So just try to interact and use these communities to the advantage because they're there for a reason and terry's really great at getting people involved too um in creative to tokyo so uh, and she's done really amazing um events so like something like that like that would really help that is so sweet i I wanted to jump in but i was like oh gosh am i being too talkative (laughs) feel free to um, jump in whenever you feel like of course yeah yeah terry what did you want to say like really leverage your community. That is such a great, great tip, uh, Mika, because this one story just popped in my head as soon as you said this. Um, somebody had joined community, uh, Creative Togu, I think maybe a month ago, and she had like six days left on her visa. Like she had to find a job that week. If not, six she days, had to wow. leave Japan. Oh. Guess what? After the event that we had, she found a job in a few days because of community. And so actually, wow. I'm, I'm sort of jumping, Laurie. Our next question is like, can one get mm-hmm. a job as a designer yeah. with only a portfolio, no design experience? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. Like the community networking, that is all you need sometimes to get that job. I got a product design job because I joined Tokyo Design, which was Creative Tokyo before it became Creative Tokyo, because I went to an event and I was, I linked in somebody was like, hey, do you have an internship? I'm very happy to not get paid. And again, I'm saying this from privilege and I'm happy to just get paid in terms of experience. And that became a job in a few months. And so the answer is yes. For sure. Uh, I have seen so many people that have gone a, a job with only a portfolio and no design experience. I mean, we all have, cause we all were career switchers. <laughs> the, I know that um, that imposter syndrome is out there. I mean, I, I have experienced that too. Like when I looked at these jobs, I'm like, oh my God, I don't have like three plus years of experience. I, I don't know if I can do this. But like, I think the key is to kind of be a bit like strategic in how you communicate your experience. Well, I'm going to use my case, for example. So like, yes, I didn't have any designer experience, but I had like more than like five years of work experience. So that experience, right. I felt like, right, shouldn't be erased and that's how I said that to employers they would sometimes be like oh this position is only three plus years and I would say yes I understand that but you know I have five plus years in working with different types of people and working in different types of environments so that is um, a huge part in the being a designer you still have to use those transferable skills so I think um, if you are caught up with someone rejecting you with that you have no experience no that's a lie you do have experience especially as a career switcher. So I would just like try to leverage that plus that portfolio. And I think that would that would help because yeah, you shouldn't throw away all that years of experience that you did at your previous career. It should always take credit for that. So yeah, what yeah. about you, Mika? What do you think? Could one get a job as a UI UX designer? Yeah, definitely. Because your portfolio is your ticket to a UX job. No design experience yeah, it's definitely possible because like Terry mentioned just earlier, the story of, you know, getting hired of, uh, as an intern, right? Without like actual work experience. But I think if the company is looking for someone that they think that they can teach and they can train, because the thing with um, Japanese corporate culture, I guess, uh, would be 
they prefer someone who's like willing to learn and willing to be trained. And if they see that you're enthusiastic enough to, you know, to perform at the job and learn the ropes, then they would be more than happy to accommodate you as long as they think that you have like at least the basic skills, the basic knowledge and, you know, like the basic technical know-how, then definitely, uh, at least here in Japan, it's definitely possible. I don't know about the West, you know, the the West um, tech scene, um, probably, Lori, you, you'll have more idea about that. But I say, you know, you can definitely get a job in UX with just your portfolio, as long as you should have at least like two or three projects, of course, that would typically the standard for a UX portfolio. Yeah, I want to jump in and like break down portfolio and projects in case you're truly starting out and just have no idea how to get to these. Um, if you look at some designers portfolios, you will be like, I will take 10 years to make this. And even I get so overwhelmed by some portfolios because they're so nice. And uh, that's because they do hire someone to code it out. They probably designed it themselves. Uh, but some other people actually hire other freelancers to, to design and code their portfolio because it's just such a daunting task. But for you starting out, make this like a literally MVP. Create a Notion page and just use that Notion page as a portfolio. That's what I did to get my first mm -hmm. job. And then in terms of projects, you can go to websites such as catchyfire.org, I think, mm -hmm. or .com. And it's a um, nonprofit where a lot of nonprofits in uh, mostly America, I think, go on to basically ask for volunteers. And they have a lot of open roles that actually, it gives you a new numerical number of your value like so if you design something they're like this will save us twenty thousand dollars you can put that oh. in your resume so easily <laughs> so it's like an impact that they already calculated that you can already put on your resume and seeing that as a hiring manager is like awesome so it's an easy route to get to the top of the page to break it down use notion for your portfolio use touch a fire for projects um, or any other similar yeah, if I might add to that, like, because usually what I observe as a struggle of junior UX designers, and I went through this too, was that, oh, I need to have like a website or like a prim and proper looking website. Okay, I get it. <laughs> of course, we want, you know, a portfolio that is easily readable for whoever's gonna look at it. You need to quit like going for perfection in terms mm. of like the case studies and about projects too, um, what I usually advise to junior UX designers is that they can spot problems in their current workplace and perhaps they can make a case study out of that. You know, maybe there's, you know, something that they're encountering in their current job because that I think would make it more real and it would help them stand out as well because it's not going to look like project that they just found on the web. Okay, let me make this a case study or like a redesign project. And so if you base it around what you already know and what you're encountering in your workplace, I think that's, that's going to be valuable as a, as a case study. That's so true, Mika. That's exactly what I did. And uh, you know, I was an English teacher, right? And so I used mm. my school's website as my first project. And uh, I put that as my first uh, thing and I show that to my hiring manager and it worked. And <laughs> so definitely use yeah. as many resources as you can. Mm, yeah, there's so many that. problems that you can make a UX case study out of. Okay, that's a very great takeaway. So yes, 
definitely leverage that if you're currently working and you spot a problem, which there definitely are problems in your current work, try to leverage that into your portfolio because I think that problem is very interesting compared to like if you come up with like a random personal life problem. Work problems are always interesting and they're always tangible that employers can see you picturing, okay, I can see these skills aligning with like what you're going to do in the future at this company. So yes, definitely a great takeaway for that. Another thing I would want to add is that um, I'm going to use this from my experience, but when I was looking at portfolios, there's a ton of portfolios out there. Everyone that has like 10 plus years experience. And I think what intimidated me was that I had to make my portfolio like that, especially the case studies. But then someone once told me and said, you know what? You don't have those years of experience. Why are you comparing yourself to a senior designer? You're, you're junior level. Why are you comparing their portfolio to... Yeah, to someone that had like 10 years of experience. I'm like, you should not compare your portfolio Mm. like that. You should look at the similar level as you, which is like the junior levels. I think people out there, they're trying trying to get the copy the best portfolio ever, which is, I think, yeah, that makes sense. But I think when you're trying to see other people's portfolio, just try to see the similar level of you to see, get an idea and gauge on like what type of skills you might need to communicate in your portfolio because someone at senior level is definitely going to have a way more way more insight and a different type of approach tackling the problem compared to someone that's a junior. So I would advise that is, that is if you're looking for inspiration, find one that's of similar level to you and not look at the uh, ones that are like a higher level than you because it's just going to make it more intimidating. Yeah. I think general. the notion thing is really smart too. I've heard I now people with doing you. that the the link to how to do that like a basically a guide <laughs> it, yeah, it's still it's... good to have like a notion because um personally i have like three versions of my portfolio i have a website portfolio i have a notion portfolio i have a pdf portfolio even i know <laughs> it's, it sounds so <laughs> traditional but i feel like i need to have them like just in case like something breaks so that there's always like something that you can show and you know, having a website portfolio takes time, you know, especially if you're pumping out new case studies, that takes time. But then at least if you have something that you can put out in Notion as soon as possible, then at least you have something to show if if ever there's an opportunity that comes along. For sure. This is great talk. The portfolio is definitely, yeah, it's a very important part in our career and learning more about how to develop your portfolio. Hopefully you can get some takeaways out of this. So now we can move on to the next question. This question is very interesting. Really excited that the person asked this. As someone coming from a front-end developer career, uh, would it be beneficial to code up or build the designs I create? Let's pass this to Terry because I know Terry, you've had no. you have front-end developing experience too. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not my career. I think, Mika, uh, you would be perfect to answer this because you were an engineer beforehand, right? Yeah. And then after, I, I can add whatever I think. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, those were the days. Oh, my God. <laughs> Software engineer. Hashtag, trust me, I'm an engineer. Um, well, I would say yes, definitely. Um, Knowing about code is always better than not knowing about it. So if you can design something and actually implement it, then you're going to be so valuable in the design world. And just looking at the question again, so would it be beneficial to code up and build the designs? Yeah, definitely. And that would also 
give you an idea of what is feasible and how long something would take to build. Because that is usually one of the struggles, I think, um, of UX designers is that they design something and they don't really know or uh, they miscalculate how long the developers will build that design or sometimes they don't know that it's not even feasible. But if you already have some coding knowledge, then that would, of course, help a ton in terms of how you approach your design and at the same time, how you communicate with the developers that you are working with. Absolutely. It is beneficial, but not necessary. So if you don't know coding, that's okay. Don't you worry about it. But if you do, and you can actually show it, then on your portfolio case study, you can have a button that's like, see this live. Because I mean, Mm. let's be honest, Laurie, you've hired before. Mika, I think you got hired before as well. It's not like they're going to read the entire case study. Very likely, they will go straight to your live, whatever it is, to play with the app. So go ahead, if you have time, code it, build it. If you don't, don't you worry about it. But the idea is being able to storytell, to talk about how you were able to build it and why you built it that way using research. For sure. Yeah, I always think it's always beneficial for designers to know some coding knowledge, just like what Mika said, so that you can understand that if you pass off your designs to a developer, it's a lot harder than you think it is. So then you're able to kind of understand the technical constraints of it. And then you can kind of descope some of the things in your designs because you encountered, let's say, like, yeah, a technical issue because of this one line of code, for example. So I do think it is like beneficial to know how to code. I mean, I don't know front end. I am such <laughs> a, I suck at coding. So <laughs> I don't understand it at all. So if you do know, I think leverage that to your advantage. If you are coming from a front-end developer career or um, if you want to know coding, but I want to say what Terry said is that it's not necessary because we've got so many things to do in design and coding is literally like the last thing in our mind to do. And it's something like we don't really look at as designers. We're like, oh, this person doesn't know how to code. Okay, next. Let's just cross this person (laughs) off and No, it's something that we don't really care for. I mean, it is more of a nice to have if you have it. So like if someone Mm. told me, oh, I I took a coding bootcamp or like, oh, I coded this website. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I I would, that's all in my head. I'm like, that's pretty cool. This person probably will know how to communicate to developers. And, but yeah, like I, I don't think it's like a necessary step that you have to take. I mean, you have a lot of things to do as a designer and coding is, I think if it's a purely of your interest, then go for it. Laurie, could you expand on, uh, let's say this person is not coming from a coding and software engineering background. How would you leverage the skills that they learned from another career or another background to UX design? We mentioned this a little earlier about like, you know, soft skills and such, but like, can you give some examples of that? Um, yeah, I guess like how I was able to love. So my background, um, I think listeners know, like, yeah, my background was mostly in tourism. Although I did do English teaching too. So yes, <laughs> English teaching is <laughs> English teaching. <laughs> but yes, tourism, What how I leveraged that was I basically said that I was interacting with so many different types of disciplines in my job, much as like we do in design. So I, I actually said that 
as a designer, you know, you have to communicate with different people, let's say like business partners or developers or product managers to build this one product. And I said, I did the same when I was working in tourism, I had to talk to hotel people, I had to talk to tour operators, I had to talk to, to um, customers too. So like, literally, I'm like talking to so many different types of people just to build someone's itinerary. So I kind of like leverage that. If you are looking to leverage your skills as someone that's non-designer, just tie it back into what a designer would do. So like, yeah, like I tied it back to like, as designers, we have to interact with different types of disciplines. And I said, I had that experience. So like I, I leveraged the communication skills because I think communication skills is always in the workplace. It's super transferable. So I think that's a great leverage tool to have. And um, believe it or not, like there's quite a few designers that don't have that skill set. So if you are a designer and you're really great at like communicating, I definitely feel like that's super advantage probably even more than the coding one (laughs) yes because you're going to deal with a lot of people in projects you know different stakeholders are involved so having solid communication skills would definitely come in handy Mm -hmm, for sure yeah like terry like because like most of the foreigners in japan they're english teachers so like yeah what type of tip would you give those who are like english teachers and wanting to break into product design Yeah, um, I really like your advice because it's something that I did as well. In my school, you know, we had a bunch of English teachers with students of all different levels. And so the idea was that we were teaching them equally, but fairly. And so what I had to do was create a syllabus that catered to all of their needs. And so this was the product that I was building. And I had to talk to different teachers, use different textbooks, but still teach English, right? That was the main goal. And so I used that to kind of leverage to share that I was able to communicate, quote unquote, um, but also like the website that we talked about earlier. It was using like JavaScript. <laughs> it was very, very slow and very old. And, and so I redesigned it. And I was so close to getting funding to actually redesign it and actually code it out. But unfortunately, that fell through with the pandemic and such. But I was still able to use the beginnings of the project to put into my portfolio. Awesome. Yeah. See, so I think, yeah, like being a career switcher, like which we all were, like, I think it's, it's very, very common in UX design and product design to actually career switch from something that's totally different from design. Just like try to leverage your current role and use that to your Mm -hmm. advantage because it is definitely valuable. I just remember this, this mentee that I had a session with. So she's, um, she's trying to do more like productivity apps. But then her background is in finance. And she was asking, like, how do I switch to UX design? Like, what I wanted to do is kind of different from what I'm doing right now. And to that, I said, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be like the technical know-how that you can leverage. It can be, like you mentioned, Lori, it's the soft skills. Perhaps there are things that you need to have um, working in the finance field that can translate into UX design so for example in her case she's she's in the finance field and I thought you know probably in the finance field you need to be detail oriented you need to be specific and you deal with a lot of data and I think in the UX world that would be valuable you know to be a data-driven designer and and be detail oriented I think that's that's skill that you can use to promote yourself as a designer and so that can play out in, in that way and among other skill sets, because the thing with UX is the more you know, the more diverse your skill sets are, the more valuable you can be. Because I think like there are, 
you know, you can take so many inspirations from all the things that you get exposed to and bring that into your design. Yeah, Mika, the audience can see, but I'm just nodding my head vigorously. <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Giving her that confidence. That Amen. Everything she's saying is right. <laughs> Awesome. No, Mika, thank you so much for that. Listeners, hopefully, just want to reiterate, yes, don't be afraid to showcase your previous career role because it's super valuable. It can definitely help in UX, especially. Just wanted to now conclude the first part of this UX designer hotline. I don't know. Was it fun? Did you like it? Terry and Mika? I loved it. Mika, did you like it? Yes, I'm ready to go for the other questions. <laughs> Maybe we should do like a live streaming of this I one day. Be, yeah. <laughs> Me too, really cool, no? Right? Maybe, Let's yeah. Let's book it in. I did not expect it to have this type of conversation with the questions. Mm-hmm. Like we, yeah. we really got deep, I feel. I was going to tell the users or the listeners that I was telling you two to please make a whole season digging deeper into these questions because I feel like we can talk about it for like two hours each because yeah. there's so much to unpack. But hopefully this is enough that we, you know, that we talked about. Really, especially with the product strategy, product design, product management topic. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think we should probably have another future episode on this. But for now, we will like to conclude part one and we will reconvene again for part two where we'll have Terry to answer the four questions. And then so from there, yeah, I'll give it to Mika now to conclude. Yes. So this has been part one of the UX Designer Hotline episode. So subscribe to Designer Sushi. So we're all over the place and we're... We're on your favorite podcast platform, probably. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts to be updated when we drop the new episodes. Of course, we're also in social media. We're on Instagram at designer.sushi and on Twitter uh, at designersushi. And if you like what you're listening to, um, please leave us a rating on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps. It helps us a lot in getting the word out there about our show. And we hope that uh, we'll hear more uh, from you guys of, you know, what content you would like us to have uh, featured in the show. So thanks, everyone, for the support and catch us again for the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.